Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. This might get a little weird and uncomfortable for you, especially if you don't like closing your eyes with a bunch of people around you, okay? Don't worry. Nobody's going to, like, tickle your neck or anything like that, okay? I promise. Well, I can't promise that. Somebody might do that to you. Um, But we're going to close our eyes. You must promise not to fall asleep, okay? But I'm going to invite us into a space of noticing, okay? So often when we read the Bible, we have a tendency to start memory verses, we're thinking, we're doing all these theological things. I just want you to hear a story and to notice, all right? So, will you close your eyes with me right now? The first thing I'd like you to notice while your eyes are closed is the rhythm of your breathing. Just notice the air coming in and the air coming out. You might find your mind going different places to your lunch plans today, to your problems from your past week or your future week. Every time you find yourself straying, noticing other things, draw yourself back to noticing your breathing. You're breathing in, you're breathing out. Notice the breath of life that God has given you. And hear these words. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, who Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples excuse me, followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. 
It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right. Take a moment. Just talk with, talk with Jesus. What stood out to you in this reading? Was it a word, an image, an idea? Let it be whatever it needs to be. There's not a right answer or a wrong answer. Just an honest one. And when you feel ready, go ahead and open your eyes. Return to the room. You'll see the words appear on the screen here in just a moment. Let's pull them up right now. So, we have some of it here, all the way up through verse 7. There's lots of things to notice in this section of text, right? And people have obviously commented on it for over, th- over 2,000 years. What, has, what is going on in John 21. Now, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, he was very intentional about his writing. As a writer, I can say that it's clear to me that he was a writer's writer. He made decisions that were meant to emphasize certain images, certain points that he's trying to make throughout the text. He builds the story of escalating miracles Miracles, building on miracles, which, of course, culminate in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, right? Which, of course, in turn prefigures his own resurrection. He builds on that when Jesus resurrects from the dead and has him going around and revealing himself to different disciples, culminating in chapter 20 where he comes before the doubting disciple, Thomas, who we see here in this text. And Thomas, he says, I will only believe if I can handle the wounds, if I can see the wounds themselves. Of course, Jesus comes and Thomas sees the wounds and falls on the ground and says, oh, my Lord and my God. But then you have this weird scene with fishing. It almost seems to come out of left field, leading some commentators to suggest that maybe it it was an accident that it was attached in here or somebody attached it later. But generally, the church has accepted that John intended that this chapter be here, and I happen to agree with them. There is a reason why 21 is what closes the gospel. Now, what follows after these 14 verses 
is a scene in which Peter uh, says, I love you three times to Jesus. When Jesus asks him, do you love me? Of course, it's supposed to remind us that Peter himself had actually denied Jesus three times earlier in the story. Jesus says, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know I love you. But this scene with the fish, the fishing, seems kind of strange. I don't know what you noticed in the text, but the thing that I noticed when I read this, it was the fishing, but specifically it was the beach itself. It was the the beach is the thing that I noticed. I don't know, does anybody here like going to the beach? Yes? Okay, a few people do. All right. I myself enjoy going to the beach. I do not like swimming, per se. Uh, in fact, I really don't like swimming. When I go to the beach, I wear jeans just so nobody thinks that I'm there to actually swim. Because even if you wear shorts, people are going to be like, oh, come on, get in the water, come on. If you wear jeans, nobody thinks that. They think that you're a, grump, you're a grumpy old man and they aren't even going to bother trying to talk to you, right? <laughs> Things that we know about the beach, right? We know that there's usually they're pretty crowded. Usually they're a good place to, uh, to view a sunset, right? They're a place to observe nature, wildlife sometimes. But beaches are also, interestingly, a place of transition, right? You're transitioning from the land to the water and from the water into the land, right? They're a place of transition. So that's the thing that stood out to me, was the very fact that this is taking on the shore or on the beach of a sea. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because I think John is so intentional in the things that he does. It's telling, for instance, the disciples who are going out the ones that get named specifically, the first three, Simon Peter, the guy who had denied Jesus three times. We have Thomas, the person who doubted until he actually held the, wound, the wounded hands of Jesus in his hands. And then you have a guy named Nathaniel, who at the very beginning of John makes a statement, uh, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Jesus says, I I, I saw you under a fig tree. And Nathaniel says, oh my gosh, you're the Messiah, right? Nathaniel, in his own way, struggled to believe who Jesus was. They all follow Peter out onto a boat, out into the sea. The sea, interestingly, is... When we think of a sea, for those of you who get motion sickness... Do you think of stability when you think of the sea? You think of instability, probably, uncertainty of going up and down. If you tried to walk out on water, for instance, you would probably sink into the water. It's used oftentimes as a symbol for chaos or confusion, right? It's the time before things become firm, solid. So they go out onto the sea, and when do they go out onto the sea? They go, we read, they go at night. Night reiterates this idea of a lack of clarity, of uncertainty, right? Darkness is the time where we don't see, where things are unclear to us. And when they go out, 
What happens? They're trying to catch fish. And do they? No. There are no fish they catch. They don't catch anything. And then as they're returning, early in the morning, as the sun is rising, again, a time of transition, transitioning from darkness into daytime, Jesus calls out to them, and they don't recognize Him, but He calls them friends. He asks them, have you caught any fish? Friends. And they say no. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in early Christian art or poetry, it was not uncommon, that is to say it was common, for Jesus to sometimes be referred to or associated with a rooster. Huh? Why would he be associated with a rooster? Can anybody guess? This, this rising sun. The rooster beckons in the morning, right? The cock-a-doodle-doo, right? The sun rises up. It's the same reason why churches used to be oriented so the congregation was facing the sunrise. The sun was rising, bringing light and new life to the, to the world. Every day, we were reminded of Jesus and the fact that He came as the light of the world, bringing new light and life into the darkness. That was human history. And so, it's telling here that Jesus, early in the morning, is standing on the shore. He sees them, but they don't realize because they've been in darkness. He sees them, but they don't quite realize that it's Him. And He tells them something strange. He tells them to throw the net on the right side of the boat, right? And they catch a bunch of fish. And it's in that moment that the disciple who Jesus loved realizes that it's the Lord. Peter can't help himself. He hears this and he jumps into the water and swims to the shore where Jesus is standing. The shore, of course, is a place, as I said, of firm foundation, of stability. If you wanted to build a house, it would make more sense to build a house on the shore than in the water. Jesus is there on the shore doing something interesting. He has a fire burning. He's tending a fire for the disciples as they come. Now, something I didn't realize, but somebody told me after first service, if you are a person who boats and has been boating at night, you know that the time when the sun is rising is actually the coldest point of the day. And it's the time where over the water, the wind is kicked up, right? Things are transitioning and shifting in many ways. The water is particularly cold, as is the air during this time. And so Peter, who strangely throws on his garment, right? Well, maybe that makes sense given how cold it was. He jumps into the water and he's coming out. This person tells me after services, all they could think about is how cold Peter would be emerging from that water. And yet, here's Jesus tending a fire, place of warmth, of light again in the darkness. And what is He doing over the fire? He's preparing a meal. And what is a meal? What is food? But life and sustenance 
to the disciples who had been working all night with no success until Jesus came on the scene. People, I think, have rightly noted that there's something echoing here of a communion scene, of the Last Supper. We end on a new Last Supper. A Last Supper, though, that is not the end. It is the beginning of a church, of a people. We know that the disciples will leave this shore, they will leave the beach today with perfect clarity of where to go. John is followed in the Christian Scripture by the Acts of the Apostles, which recount the apostles themselves going off and making disciples as Jesus has commanded them. So how perfect that just prior to this, we have a scene in which Jesus is coming and bringing light, clarity, stability, sustenance, food, life, to these wayward disciples, that they sit and they eat, as they eat with Him, they know who they are. None of them dares ask, who are you? For they know who Jesus is. He knows them as friends, and He in turn is known by them. And that's where we're left on the beach we, of course, will proceed, and Peter will affirm three times that he indeed loves Jesus. We will read that Jesus will call Peter to take care of his sheep. The image of sheep tend to be, it tends to be used a lot by Jesus to refer to those who are being brought back into the flock, as it were, to referring to people future followers of him. In the same way, early on in his ministry, he tells Peter, who is a fisherman, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. Fish and sheep are often used to describe the people who Jesus is coming to reach. And in the same way, it is powerful here that it is only with Jesus in his clarifying guidance, that the nets become full, that the fish are gathered in, able to be taken to the shore where Jesus stands, the shore of certainty and stability. I don't know what you noticed as I was reading, but that, those are the things that I noticed. And I pray that as we continue on in this Eastertide season, that you are able to look with clarity at the very least of knowing who Jesus is, even if there are areas in your life where there's darkness, there's a lack of certainty, there's confusion perhaps. Know that Jesus is the light. He is the ground that you can rely on. He is the giver of life and sustenance, that He will guide you in the right way, that you will, my hope will be that you will not need to ask, who are you, Jesus? 
exactly who he is. Will you pray with me? Jesus, that is our request. That we might know exactly who you are. Waymaker, yes. Miracle worker. Light in the darkness. That you are our loving God who prepares the meal for us, who tends the fire, who is waiting for us with the sunrise as we come back from the sea out of the darkness. We thank you.